Well, good morning again. Welcome to all of you, whether you are physically here in the building with us at the West Campus or whether you're uh, at our Banks Mill Campus or up on the ridge or whether you're just joining us online. Uh, my name is Wes. I'm the campus pastor at this location of Cedar Creek Church, and uh, we're just excited that you're connecting with us today wherever it is that you are uh, either watching or listening to what's happening in here today. Uh, for those of you that are new to Cedar Creek Church, uh, Cedar Creek Church is one church, but we meet in locations all over the place, physical locations like this that we call campuses, but also online locations, and so we're glad that you're here. Uh, most Sundays, what you would see at this time in our service, uh, depending on where you are, uh, would either be um, our, our senior pastor, Philip Lee, talking to you live on a video screen. That usually happens here at West and up at Ridge. Banks Mill, he's there uh, live in person. But every so often, every few weeks, five or six weeks, uh, we plan in what we call standalone messages where campus pastors or somebody at the campus gets a chance to speak, to teach, to preach. And uh, every summer, we always go through um, a book of the Bible. And that's what we've been doing right now. We give Pastor Philip some, some weeks off for vacation, and he's been enjoying those. He got us started in this series that we're in now, which is going through the book of Romans, the New Testament book of Romans. And uh, what you've seen over the last several weeks is uh, different communicators from the different campuses um, filling in and speaking and sharing messages as we've walked together through this book of Romans. We've also been doing daily readings, and so if you're new and you're just kind of Play and catch up. Those are available through the Cedar Creek Church app. You can see uh, every day a verse gets uh, sent out and we get to, to read that together. And so this week, week six, uh, is my turn. And so I'm excited uh, to get to share with you today. Excited to be in this, uh, this book of Romans. It really is, we were talking about this last week at service planning, um, we could probably do a year's worth of series just on the book of Romans. It, it is, for those of you that are new to faith or new to the Bible, Romans was a letter uh, that was written by a guy named Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul, and he actually wrote most of what we call the New Testament in the Bible. And, and this was a, a letter to uh, the Christian church in the city of Rome back in, that, in those days. And so he writes this letter to them, and what you see is in the book of Romans is one of the most theologically deep and practical uh, of all of Paul's letters. It is just absolutely rich. And if you've been following along with us for the last several weeks, you've gotten to hear um, some of that as we have dug in a little deeper into what Paul writes in this letter. Today, uh, we're going to be in chapter 12. And if you are keeping up with the daily readings, the, the verse that we're going to start with at the beginning of chapter 12 actually was last Sunday's daily reading. And, uh, and then Wednesday was the last part of this chapter. And so uh, we're, we're kind of staying ahead a little bit in the daily readings, uh, but that's where we are today. And this, this chapter is really, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a shift in the way that Paul writes. We've actually experienced a couple of shifts early on through the first 11 chapters, but this is really a, it's a, it's a big shift. And, and it shifts on a word uh, that is therefore. Paul uses this word therefore. Some translations say uh, and now or uh, so, so then. But what he's saying is because of the things that I've told you, now therefore do this. There's something else coming. We saw this um, the first, therefore, was a therefore of, of condemnation, right? In chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says this to the Romans, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, the law, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. What Paul is saying is we, we have this law, this, this legalistic structure and system, at do this, don't do that, and all the law was designed to do was show us how messed up we are. 
That there's no way we could ever follow a set of rules. And so God says that all of us fall short of his glorious standard. Paul says that every single one of us has a problem, and that problem is that we're sinners in need of a Savior. The second, therefore, that we see is the therefore of justification or the the grace of God. Paul says in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So Paul says that when, when our faith is in Jesus, that we're justified, that we're made right, that we have peace with God, a right standing in relationship with God, and we have access to God the Father through God the Son. The third, therefore, is the, the therefore of exoneration. Paul says that through Jesus, the plan of God to do away with our sins through the finished work of the cross exonerates us, or it, it, it declares us not guilty. Exoneration is a, is a legal word that we use today. If you're exonerated, then you are uh, proven not guilty. And, and Paul says in Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When our, when our faith is in Jesus, we're declared not guilty. And the sins that we have committed and are going to commit are done away with. So, so now we get to chapter 12. And we see the fourth of these therefores. And this is the, the what now therefore, right? Eleven chapters, Paul has been writing and telling us um, what to know what to believe, right? He's kind of laid out all of these things about faith and salvation and all of that. And then he gets to chapter 12 and this word, therefore, pivots everything. And, and it goes from what we need to know and believe to what we need to do. This is the what now chapter. Paul says, because of all that I've told you in these previous 11 chapters, now do this. So what I want to do this morning is I'm going to read chapter 12 uh, to us and then... Um, if you have your Bibles, you'll be able to follow along or the Bible app if you use that. Um, but then I'm going to dive a little bit deeper through some of the points that unpack this, this chapter, and we'll have those uh, verses on the screen available for you if you don't have a Bible or you don't have the Bible app yet. So let's, let's read this together. This is Romans chapter 12, and I, I'm reading the New International Version. Yours may look a little different um, because there are some different translations out there. But it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace of God given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others and giving, let him give generously. 
If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome e- uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So today, I, I want to help us answer this question. How should I live my life as a follower of Jesus? If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you've put your faith and trust in him. I get this question a lot. People say, Wes, what is God's will for my life? And I just, I want you to hear that it's, it's, it's not as mysterious as sometimes we make it, okay? And I want to unpack a little bit today to hopefully help all of us answer this question. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, this really doesn't apply to you. Uh, this is Paul writing to believers, but I want you to know we're glad you're here. And we're hoping and praying that as you are uh, trying to discover, you're, you're exploring this faith thing, maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe you're here just the last time giving church a, a try and giving this Jesus thing a try. We're glad you're here. And we hope that God, through his word, will speak to you today. The big idea of what Paul writes in chapter 12 is this, and really throughout the rest of Romans, when you see this shift where he says, therefore, do this, it really continues on for the rest of the letter. But Paul says this, in light of everything that I've told you, do this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that even mean, right? I mean, to sacrifice something and it still stays alive, a living sacrifice, that doesn't even make sense, right? Well, here's the deal. Let's break it down a little bit. What is a sacrifice? What does that mean? What what does it mean to sacrifice something? Well, the American Heritage Dictionary uh, defines it as this. A sacrifice is the act of offering something to a deity in propitiation or homage, especially the ritual slaughter of an animal or a person. It also says that that sacrifice is the act of giving up something highly valued for the sake of something else considered to have a greater value or claim. See, under the Old Testament sacrificial system, something had to die, right? That's, That's how sin was atoned for. That's how people paid their debt for sin, they would show up at the temple and they would bring a, a pigeon or a dove or a ram or a bull or a goat or something like that. They would bring a living animal. And, and the priest would take that and would, uh, trigger warning, that would cut his throat and bleed it out and the thing would die. And they would put it on the altar and fire would consume it and, and it would become a burnt 
offering. It would become a sacrifice. And see, what Jesus did for us on the cross, he became that sacrifice for us. The Bible says that Jesus was perfect in every way. That he lived a life that was without sin, and because of that, he could die a death in our place. He died a death on a cross, and he took the penalty of our sin and our shame upon him. He was that sacrifice for us. And so Paul is saying, because Jesus died for us, we should live for him. What Jesus did on the cross was the, the propitiation. That, there's that word again that we see in the dictionary. It just means that he, that he paid the price. It means a payment or, or an appeasement. He appeased the wrath of God by dying a death on the cross, taking our place. So Jesus dies for us, and, and Paul says we should live for him. That's what a living sacrifice is. What it looks like is us as followers of Jesus daily dying to our own selfish desires, daily putting aside the things that we think are best and, and coming into alignment, coming into agreement with God with what he says is best, with what his word says we should be doing our entire lives. And what that is when we do that is worship. It's worship. It's ascribing value to something or someone. Here's the thing. Worship is something that we all do. The question is not whether we will worship. The question is who or what will we worship? Who will we give our time, talents, money, our resources, the things that are most important to us? Who will we give those things to? What or who will we worship? Speaking of which, it's almost worship season. I mean, uh, football season. If you're, not, uh, if you're not keeping up with that, it's coming. I promise. Uh, you want to you see worship? Just go to a college football game, man. That, we can, I, and I'm just as guilty as, as the next guy when it comes to that. If you saw my post this week, anybody get master's tickets? I didn't. I got to put my hand down. This thing punched me in the face this week. I'm going to tell you, I'm talking about, thinking about, praying about what are those things in our culture that we worship, right? And then I get that email that I've gotten the last 18 years. Uh, yeah, sorry, you didn't get tickets. But here's a cool video we'd like you to watch. Right? <laughs> delete, delete that, right? And then all of a sudden, like a day later, I, just, in, I was like, in my spirit, I'm thinking about it driving down the road. And I'm like, man, this is, I've elevated this thing to somewhere that it really has no place in my life to be, Right? I've made this uh, something that I, that I want to worship. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I put way too much value on things that really don't matter. So who is it or what is it today that you would say you are worshiping, that you're struggling with? If you're having a hard time figuring that out, I'll just tell you, um, one of the easiest ways to, to decipher this is to look at your calendar or to look at your bank statement or your Mint app or however you track finances. I used to say checkbook register, but nobody keeps one of those anymore. Uh, but however you're keeping up, right? Look at where you're spending your time and your money, and that will tell you the things that are most important in your life. Those will tell you the things that really matter most and that can be dangerous for us if we're not careful. We could end up worshiping those things. Paul says, offer it all. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So let's dig into that a little bit. What does that mean? Well, number one, a living sacrifice means that we must surrender completely. We must surrender completely. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So looking at all that God has done for us, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then 
you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have a saying at Cedar Creek, it goes like this, uh, God's will is found in God's word. And so when we are in God's word, we will discover what his will is for our lives, right? The problem is, is that we don't like to surrender much, do we? I don't know if it's just an American thing, right? Never surrender, never give up, never quit, uh, or if it's just a human nature thing. But we, we struggle with this, with this word surrender because it, it feels like giving up. Sometimes it, it feels like we're giving up in a situation or on something. And, and it, when it comes to this issue of trusting God with every aspect of our lives, it, it can be a struggle, right? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I'll, I'll confess this morning that, that I struggle mightily with this. And, and the problem with the living sacrifice, as our founding pastor Richard Swift used to say, is that a, a living sacrifice keeps getting up off the offer, altar and running away right? You get that picture in your head, you, know, you bring the, the sacrifice in, you lay it down, but it's alive, so it just jumps up and runs, right? It's the same with us in our lives, right? I mean, God, I give you my life, I want you to take control, and then we just get back up and start walking our own way again. God, I give you control of my marriage, and then the next day, we're right back to trying to control every aspect of that relationship. God, I surrender this issue to you that I have, I, I trust you, but then I go right back to doing what I want to do or doing what we want to do. I'll tell you where this was, a, was an issue for a long time in my life. Um, I dipped Copenhagen, if you're not familiar. Uh, that is a smokeless tobacco you know, that you put in your mouth. And from the time I was about 15 for 35 years until I was around 50 years old, I dipped Copenhagen. And I love dipping Copenhagen, but it wasn't really good for me. And my wife, was she had worked for a dentist and an orthodontist for years, Kelly did, years ago. And she would send me pictures of people that had issues because of that, right? She loved me that much. She'd be like, this is what you're going to look like. Your jaw's going to fall off, right? She was real encouraging. And I would drive down the road and I would feel a sense of conviction about it. I'm like, I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see grandkids one day, right? This is, this is doing nothing but putting poison in my system. And I'd chunk it out the window. And I confess, I've thrown many a half or full can of Copenhagen out the window. Yes, I've littered in the state of South Carolina, probably some other states in this union. Send me a ticket, I'll pay it, right? But the problem is, I would lay it down and sacrifice, right? God, I give it to you, and 10 minutes later, I'm pulling back into the next Circle K, buying another can, and right back at it. That was my struggle. And I did that time and time and time again. I'd throw a can out the window, and literally 10 minutes down the road, I'd, I'd be there buying another one. A handful of years ago now, I'm sitting on my couch one day and I, I was watching a video. It was a baptism video from another church uh, up in North Georgia and um, listening to the pastor speak and hearing the word of God. And in that moment, I heard in my spirit, not with my ears, but I, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you're done. Your family needs you healthy. And I had a can of Copenhagen in my pocket. And so I got up and I went to the kitchen and I threw it in the trash can and I was like, yes. And I started to walk away, but I'm a junkie, right? Because I know where I'm going. And two hours later, I'd have been back in that trash can, open that Copenhagen back up, packing my face full of it. So I go back to the trash can, I get it out, I open it up, and I dump it out, and I throw it away. And by God's grace, from that day, I've not had a desire. I can't explain it except to say that God supernaturally did something in my life to take it away from me. I wasn't even giving it up that time. You know, All the other times, I'm giving it up, and I just pick it back up. At that time, God just said, you know what? You're done. You need to give that up. And I did. And by his grace, I've been free of it for years now. How we do this, how we live our lives 
as a living sacrifice is we have to change our beliefs and we have to change our behavior. Change your beliefs and change your behaviors. We have to trust and believe that God is good, that his word is true, and that what he wants for us in our lives is really what's best, not our ideas and not the things that we think are best. The reason why our living sacrifice keeps getting up is because we, we really believe something wrong about God, right? Maybe it's, uh, he's not good enough. Maybe, maybe God's just, he really doesn't want what's best for me, and so I'm not going to do that thing that he's told me. Or, or maybe we're just wanting to hold on to something. Something's become a crutch in our life, something that, you know, this is not really that bad. We've minimized it, right? We're not willing to, to give it to him. Or, or maybe, maybe it's just something we completely disagree with. For whatever reason, something in God's word that we disagree with. And so what do we do? We, we twist it and we, we change it, right? We have a different theology. Eh, God really didn't mean that. That was a long time ago. That was a different language, different culture, different translation. It doesn't mean that today. It's what we do. We don't believe that God really wants what's best for us. And so we go our own way. That's what our first parents did. That's what Adam and Eve did, right? They had everything they needed in the garden. Perfect communion with God. But it wasn't enough. They had to do something else that they wanted. They thought they knew best. And that's what every one of us does, if we can be honest. If we're really going to be transparent and be honest, that's what we all do. It's what I do. We conform to this world rather than be transformed by God. And listen, if nothing changes, nothing changes. I mean, I, I realize that seems really shallow and really deep and profound at the same time, but it's true. If nothing in our life changes, nothing is ever going to change. If we keep doing things the way we've always done them, if we keep thinking the same way and believing the same way, it doesn't change. And, and here's the thing. The unchurched world looks at the church, and if they see a bunch of people that look like them and, and act like them and think like them, we're unchanged, we're unremarkable, there's nothing spectacular about the church, what would ever draw them to Jesus? Why would they ever want something different than what they have now? Or maybe, maybe we conform in some ways. Maybe we, we, we treat life and we treat faith and we treat all this like a, like a pie, right? Like our life is in slices. And, and God, I'll give, you, I'll give you this slice of my life. I'll, I'll give you my work piece, right? I'll give you this work slice, but, but not, my, not my school piece, not my relationship piece. I don't want you, I don't want you dealing with that, God. I'll, I'll give you this, but not that, right? Not my financial piece. I'll, I'll give you everything else, but I, I got to hold on to this. God, you can have these slices, but, but not the whole thing, not the whole pie. Until we settle this issue, until we learn to surrender completely to God, every aspect of our lives is going to be an area where we struggle with this and, and ultimately uh, struggle with what God's will is for our life. Because Paul says that we, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and unless that happens, we're not even able to discern what God's will is for our lives. It's not even possible to know. We need to be transformed. Number two, living sacrifice means we must serve humbly. We must serve humbly. Paul says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. Encouraging, encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul says you have a gift. He says every single one of us, as followers of Jesus, when we give our life to him, he gives us certain gifts, certain talents, and we're to use those gifts and talents to serve him by serving others. 
I love, yesterday was one of my favorite days of the year. It was our summer serve day project. And all of our campuses were doing something either at their campus or with a local partner where people were out just serving, doing things, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And Jesus is our example in this, right? He, he washes his disciples' feet and he says to them, do as I've done unto you, right? He tells us as his followers, go and serve, meet needs. Wherever you see needs, meet them. Summer Serve Day was a great opportunity to do that, to go and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I love that we get opportunities to do that, not just once a year, but we do that through home groups. We do that every Sunday, right? New people come to our campuses every Sunday, and we have an opportunity to meet them here. And that's why this issue is so important. It it matters because when we serve, we encounter unchurched people. Whether it's here on Sunday, God bringing them here, or whether we're serving out in the community and and we we have contact with unchurched people, and here's what happens. They start asking questions, right? They want to know, why are you this friendly, (laughs) right? I used to get that all the time and still do sometimes. Cedar Creek Church, man, this, uh, this place is way too friendly. I thought that when I first got here 25 years ago. I'm like, this is a cult or something. These people are like nice. I've never heard of church people that were nice, and they're coffee that I can drink, What, right? They start asking questions, and they want to know more. They see us putting our faith into action, and when they do, they're going to ask why. Why are you doing this? Why would you fly halfway around the world to serve teachers that are teaching girls rescued from human trafficking? Why would you fly down to South and Central America and and feed children? Why are you doing this? Listen, unchurched people, the people that we're called to reach, those that are unsaved, those that don't have a relationship with Jesus, they have all kinds of questions. The problem is they're not not so sure that the church has the answers that they need. They have spiritual questions, but they're not coming to the church, statistics show us, to have those questions answered. They're going to the, the TikTok theologians and the cesspool that Twitter has become, right? They're going to social media. They're going to these other outlets asking significant questions about faith. And they're getting jacked up answers. They're getting the wrong answers. But they don't believe the church has the answers that they need. When we serve humbly, other people see something different, right? Because the world is not about serving other people. The world is about do your own thing, be your own thing, right? It's all about me, me, me. I get mine. It's not about loving other people. It's not about serving other people. This way of following Jesus and serving others, it's different. You know, when I first encountered this, um, years ago, I had a good friend of mine. We, he's known me since childhood. And uh, we were driving late one night. We were on our way to a hunting trip. And uh, I had been, we'd been here at Cedar Creek for a few years. And God was starting to do some things in my life. And, and um, in this conversation one night, he just looked at me and he said, you know, I don't know what it is about you, but something's different. And whatever it is, I want that in my life. And I had an opportunity in that moment to say, you know what, man, all I can tell you is I've been focused on Jesus and, and, and walking with him, trying to learn more about his will for my life and, and just putting that into practice. And, and, and it, it, he just feels like he's doing something different. And he shared with me years later that that night was instrumental in his own faith walk and helping point him to Jesus where he could go and, and start asking some different questions to where he would ultimately give his life to Jesus and is walking with him today. He said it was a pivotal moment in his faith life. See, whatever your gift is, whatever God has gifted you in whatever way, do it. Use that gift. Serve humbly. If you don't know what your gift is, let us know. We'll help you figure it out. There's all kind of neat things we have, like spiritual gift assessments and stuff like that. Or you can just start trying to serve somewhere 
and see if it's something that you enjoy and something that fits. God will bless you for doing it, and then maybe it doesn't work, we'll find somewhere else. But just start doing something. Develop that servant's heart. Man, the easiest way to do that is right here at church on Sunday. We've got all kinds of places where you can serve and learn to use your gifts and talents. Number three, if we're going to live our lives as a living sacrifice, we must love sincerely. We must love one another and others sincerely. Paul says in verses 9 and 10, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. See, the unchurched world can smell a fake a mile away. We probably can too if we're being honest, right? You know when somebody doesn't really mean something. When they're not being sincere, they're just going through the motions, maybe out of obligation or, or a sense of duty. Let me just tell you, if, if you struggle with that, if you, you know, somebody guilts you into doing something and you're only doing it out of obligation, don't. Don't, because all it's going to do is harden your heart. And people are going to be able to see it. They're going to realize you don't really mean this. This is just something that you're living out because you, you think, you're supposed to, and somebody's watching, right? God is grading your report card. Paul gives us a, a short list of how we should love, and this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a snapshot. If you read on through the rest of Romans, which we're going to do through the rest of this series, you'll see a lot of different ways where this issue shows up of how we love other people. But he says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. The world doesn't do these things, does it? It really doesn't. I'll just tell you, the, the, the world loves evil. If you're, if you're paying attention, right, culture loves evil. They're all about themselves. The world seeks honor for themselves, not for God. I was reading this week about celebrity marriages. I don't, don't ask me how I got down this rabbit hole. It just happens, right? ADD is real. The struggle is real. But it struck me that the average celebrity relationship lasts about three years. Marriage lasts about three years. Is that devotion? Is that sincere love? I don't think it is. You know why we don't do this? Why we don't love sincerely? What the real problem really is? The heart of this issue, I think, what keeps us from being able to love sincerely is this issue that we all have, and it's sin. It's sin. We don't like to use that word, but all it means is the things that we do in our life that are in opposition to what God's word says. We do things for whatever reason that are in opposition to God's best for our life. I was thinking about it this week and it struck me, it's kind of like, like Dexter. We all have this dark passenger inside of us. I don't know if you're familiar with this show. If you're not, let me just tell you, don't go watch it, okay? Um, it, was a, it was a show that was out a while back on Showtime and because of my background as an investigator, the, the premise of it intrigued me. And so I said, I'm going to check this out, you know, and so then I was hooked, right? It was about this guy who's a blood pattern analysis technician for the Miami-Dade Police Department and a serial killer. <laughs> what? Right? Crazy idea. But the thing was, was this guy's father was a detective. And when he was a young boy, uh, his father saw this weird proclivity in him that he had this desire like to kill things. And so rather than get him help, he just decided that he would teach him to kill bad people right? That makes sense, doesn't it? And so Dexter grows up and becomes this serial killer who works in law enforcement and he finds people who either got away with a really heinous crime or were continuing in, in really bad things and then he would kill them. And, and what he said when you watch the show, he said that he felt like he had this, 
This dark passenger, that's, that's the word that he used, inside of him, that, that caused him to do these things. And he, he, he struggled with it, and he, it was a temptation, and he, he didn't know where this desire came from. But that's what he called it. And I'm just going to tell you, that's what sin is like in our lives, right? That's what our sin nature that all of us have is like. It causes us to think things and to do things that are not God's best for our life. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. I don't know. In your life, maybe it's pride. Did you know that pride is a sin? It is. It's the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. It's the sin that got our first parents, Adam and Eve, kicked out of the garden. They wanted to control their own lives, right? They thought they knew better than God. And I'll just tell you, the Bible has nothing at all kind to say about pride. Anytime we think we know better than God, anytime we elevate ourselves above God, that's all that is. It's a pride issue, and all of us struggle with it. I think the church's greatest battle right now in this world is this issue of conforming. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but we have this issue, and it's looking like the rest of the world, and it's largely, I think, driven by this pride issue. Anytime we take something that God says, something that's not God's best for our life, and we accept it in the name of tolerance or love, that's a problem. I'll just tell you. In his book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, this guy named Thomas Brooks, he was a Puritan writer. He wrote this in 1652 about this issue. He says this, one of the ways the enemy tempts us is by painting sin with virtue's colors. He says, Satan knows that if he would present sin in its own nature and dress, the soul would rather fly from it than yield to it. And therefore, he presents it unto us, not in its own proper colors, but painted and gilded over with the name and show of virtue, that we may more easily be overcome by it and take the more pleasure in committing it. 1652. We're still doing it today, right? We, we, we choose to, to believe something in opposition to what God says, but we wrap it up in a different way that we can tolerate it, that we can paint it a little bit differently so it looks like we're just being virtuous. Here's why this is dangerous. The church affirming evil by participating in it doesn't give the world an accurate picture of who Jesus is and why he is worthy of honor and glory. Let me say that again. The church participating in evil or, or just affirming it does not give the world an accurate picture of who Jesus is and what he has done and why he is worthy of our honor and glory. Years ago, I was on a short-term outreach trip in a part of the world that we can't really talk about because... Um, it's security reasons, but I was there, and it's predominantly Muslim, 99.9% Muslim, and I was having a conversation with a guy there in that country, and uh, he said, so I understand that America is a Christian nation, and I said, well, that's sort of true, but not really true. It was founded by a bunch of people who were largely Christian, but America was founded for religious liberty, so we have Jews and Muslims and atheists and Satanists, and, and we have all of these faiths that live in America. And he said, oh, well, I've always heard that America is a Christian nation, and I have satellite TV, and I watch Desperate Housewives, right? You wonder why that part of the world hates us so much, why they hate Christians so much? It's because they hear we're a Christian nation, but then they get TV, and they see what goes on. 
And they see what we affirm and what we uplift, and it's not God's best for our lives. These days, the world looks through the eyes of Instagram, sees the Kardashians, and sees the the Hollywood celebrities and all these folks, right? And they hear that America is a Christian nation, but this is what they see, and this is what they equate with Jesus. The world is watching. They're watching how we live. The question is, will we live conformed to this world, or will we live as living sacrifices being transformed as we renew our minds? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today, God. I thank you for another day of life. I thank you for bringing us here, connecting us all together, whether it's in person or through technology. God, you woke us up this morning, put breath in our lungs, and you're not finished with us. And we, we are just thankful for today. God, we thank you for your word that is true. And we thank you for this picture that the Apostle Paul wrote many, many years ago about what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus to live out our lives. To, to be a living sacrifice. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. That you stepped out of heaven and came to this earth on a rescue mission for sinners like me and for sinners like us. And you made a way for us by living a sinless life and dying a death on a cross, taking our place. And the Bible says that you died and you were buried, but three days later, just as you said you were going to do, you rose again. And you're reigning and ruling today at the right hand of the Father, and one day you're coming back. And until that day, or until you call us to be home with you, I pray that we would be a people, that we we would be a church and a community and a people that live our lives laying down our preferences daily, pursuing you, Jesus, your best for our lives. Help us to do that. Help us today to, if we don't know who you are, for those that are listening this morning that don't have a relationship with you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that people would make a decision, that you would draw them near to you, that they would, a life and an eternity would be changed today. And those of us who call ourselves your followers, we would be challenged and encouraged and convicted. Whatever work it is that you want to do in our hearts and lives, you would do that work to finish what you've started. Help us to take a next step, to connect with others. Help us to learn to serve, to use the gifts and talents, to serve humbly and to love people sincerely. Because your word tells us that when we do that, they see you, Jesus. And that's all we want. We just want the world to know you, to see you, to follow you. We love you. We thank you and we pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen.